Welcome to the Sean Boy Podcast. Welcome to the Sean Boy Cast. Minions, unicorns, virus survivors, annies and outies, all-arounders, upside-downers, inside and outsiders, uh, all welcome. Yes, it is time for another lovely episode coming from you straight from the horse's mouth. No, not a horse, a unicorn. But anywho, today in the podcast, I showcase here in just a minute one of my favorite comedians of the modern age, and that's Doug Stanhope. It's great. And we're going to go on to some current events. We're going to talk about the future after COVID-19 and how it's going to be way different than you're thinking. And uh, then we go on to my personal take. And uh, on my personal take, I go over how we should teach our children. And some people go, but Sean, you ain't got no children. Well, I'm here to tell you. I've seen the outcome of some children called adults I think that gives me validity to talk about it so there's that but anyway as always I got some music on here probably about 20 minutes of music um, and that's coming up right after Doug staying up there so I'll shut up now and uh yeah I'll set it up for Doug here and then you'll see what happened yeah right Welcome to another great heckle moments in history here event. This episode, I'm going to go over another one of my favorite modern comedians of all time, and that's Doug Stanhope. Oh, Doug Stanhope there is a comedian of a very particular kind of way about him found him the most authentic person on the planet because whatever goes on in his head is coming out of his mouth and for heckles and all the heckling that I've listened to which I don't know why I'm into that or like it but there's something funny about somebody trying to come into somebody's environment and mess it up and then they just shit all over him and uh, old Doug Stanhope there, you know, pulls no punches. uh, He's a professional, and he knows exactly what he's doing. And the way I like Doug Stanhope is he's very truthful about what he's saying. You can believe what old Stanhope says there. Now, you can't believe everything he says, because then you'll be a literalist, and People that take things too literally are, uh, well, they're, they're usually stupid, so, yeah. But uh, I'll shut up now. The first, there's two clips here. First one, a guy decides to get up at a certain point of Doug Stanhope's act and give him the middle finger and walk out. 
And you'll hear it. You, you'll notice where it happens right after he says, oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, interesting to see how he handles that. Then the second one, kind of, it's kind of, the clips kind of jump around a little bit, but you'll get it. Um, the second one I've entitled New Ugly. And, uh, I guess a lady was, uh, getting offended by something Doug was saying and uh, well he had to tell her the truth about what she's trying to do there and uh, I think it says it all I think Doug, Doug did a good job there so uh, yeah enjoy I'll shut it down a lot of times people just don't know the rules and then she felt strongly about Syria and they had to shut her down <laughs> jacket. Now you're going to have to make the walk of shame for your jacket. I love I love when people get offended for absolutely nothing. Like you just sat through rape and abortion and child molesting and fist fucking. But Syria, that's where it all falls apart. Unbelievable. That's what I miss about comedy clubs, is the people who just show up not having any idea who you are. <laughs> like you play wherever, and I play rock and roll clubs. And they, they, what's that? Google and YouTube. Yeah, yeah, you can kind of put a little effort into your Saturday. <laughs> just throw a dart at the weekly. Hey, honey, what do we have a coupon for? <laughs> <laughs> Drive safe. <laughs> Was it the there you go. Yep. If you sit there you have to pay their tab. <laughs> uh, what's that? Oh yeah, drink their fucking beer too. Yeah. Yeah, give me a sip. Give me a sip. It's easier than fucking you. Just saying. You should be offended by that? No, I said you weren't easy to fuck. Which you should be offended by, because you should, fucking should be something that comes easy. Fucking is not something you should build your life around. Easier than giving you the disease by fucking you was to see. Do you do what? So, you know what? Go ahead, get it out of your system, because you only have about six years of cute to get away with this. And then, and then. No, really. Well, no, it's just, it's, it's just that pretty women have some sense of you know, they have a. You're, you're so offended. Like, now I called you pretty. I told you it would be too hard to fuck you. Now I called you pretty. But it, that's going to run out. And you're going to have what I call, you're going to be new ugly. When you're like... <laughs> you're going to hit 36. 
and you're not gonna know how to deal with ugly like the rest of us who've been ugly our whole life. And then all of a sudden you're gonna walk into a show and you're gonna try this shit and they're gonna go, get that pig out of here and they won't even give you, and you're gonna go, what? I used to do this all the time. It's, it's just what happens when you age. Okay, all right. Just, just, the audience is turning on you. Welcome to Sean's Live and Local Sounds. In this episode, I have three looper songs that I've done with a classical guitar. What I mean is, I've looped a thing or two and then played over it. And, uh, yeah, so that's interesting. And I also was recently going through probably hundreds of CDs that I've recorded. And every now and then I find something I've done that I really like. And I'm like, okay, I'll put this on here. And the last song is a studio work I did from 2005. So a long time ago, so it's an old song here. But I'll shut up now and you can continue enjoying. All right.
Welcome to Current Events and thank you for your continued interest. Hope you like the music there. But to get on with it, today in Current Events I'm going over the future after COVID-19. The reality of where your mind was before COVID-19 and the way it was after is going to be different. We are not going back to the way it was before the pandemic. It's going to be a long affair going forward, too. Like it or not, you're being forced into a, way, a new way of living. And it is also common to see an increase in popular trends, good or bad, in past histories in the dealings we have had in the past with all pandemics. In the future, America will no longer be viewed by others as a leader in the world stage. Others will see us as the countries that couldn't keep its citizens safe. Other countries will not view our government as high-functioning. This is what I've called and coined the big bluff. Other countries and entities will know, will now know that we uh, were not as ready and as strong as we once believed. And there's the big bluff. We are a sleeping nation with a new form of amnesia. Generally, what we've done in the past is, uh, you know, what, what have we done, really, to prepare for this pandemic before it hit? You know, because all this was supposed to be taken care of before. There's been unallocated money that was never made, that never made it to the vaccine and st structural nonsense like not having enough masks for first responders it was never allocated the right amount of money to have everything ready for any kind of pandemic. I like what a recent Canadian journalist, author, public speaker said on a podcast called the Monk Dialogues or Monk Debates. Recently, he recently brought up this ideal of the strong link versus the weak link game. And we've been playing in it. You're only as strong as your strongest player or weak as your weakest player. Soccer is a weak link game. One player can cost you the game. Just one player out of a soccer team can cost the whole game. Basketball is a strong link game. Not having the strongest player can cost you the game. We have been playing the strong link game for far too long. Especially with the epidemic and other current problems like healthcare in general. How has it came to be that we what made our world develop this way? 
what has transpired. Eric Weinstein is a prominent and one of the senior members and creator of IDW, the Intellectual Dark Web. He has coined some terms I like and really put into focus what is happening in the way it's happening today, I think. The first term he, term he coined was the gated institutional narrative. <laughs> think about it. the gated institutional narrative. What he's what he's getting at there is something called narrative driven journalism. The journalists that you see on CNN, Fox News, all the major news sources, which aren't news sources whatsoever. I mean, they get their orders from a guy up high that goes, here's the ratings, follow this stuff. What news is being reported, really? They have 24 hours a day, seven days a week to put up there whatever they want. And you'll get a week, a whole week, about the same things. Gated institutional narrative. We have lost the ability to tell the powers to be to screw off. And part of it is because of our two-party system. Currently, there's a Republican Party, a Democratic Party. Both of these have both swung to their extremes. The right-wing party, if you go too far right, you become a nationalist and you have this nationalistic kind of pride look at outlife and you might be over in that area too much to where, you know, you're fanatical. And worse than that, and I even think worse than the conservatives and Republicans, is the Democrats, the left. And the left has a very leftist extreme called social justice warriors and socialists. And don't get, see, here's the problem. If I take the word socialist, people on the right instantly cringe. People on the left instantly go, make it all free. Somewhere in between both of those fucking statements is a truth to what we should do about that. And that's when you get into moderate Republicans and moderate Democrats. They're more middle of the road and can, you know, see each other's viewpoint because they're probably normal fucking people. And the two-party system has uh, been failing us. And uh, it comes up to another term that Eric Weinstein called. And it, that was, he coined it, I think, kayfabe. And kayfabe is having to do with professional wrestling. He derived it from that. I think there's a, a article he wrote somewhere. I can't remember. But it, it's some kind of article that he wrote. The whole construction and performance of professional wrestling is what Eric described as what we will do in future elections. This is to say the art of running 
a campaign is a lot like professional wrestling. The whole game and appeal of it. The actors in the wrestling know it's fake, but they are doing a real, real wrestling, even if it is choreographed. The left and right of politics. It's all an act. Joe Biden doesn't mean the shit that's coming out of his mouth. Donald Trump doesn't believe the shit that's coming out of his mouth. That is a representative of something else. I always like what John Adams said. He's one of my favorite presidents of all time. And he, he kind of hinted at what happens if you have a two-party system. He said, There is nothing which I dread so much as a division of the republic into two great parties, each arranged, arranged under its leader and concerting organizing measures in opposition, is to be dreaded as the greatest political evil under our Constitution. Even John Adams knew this was a bad idea, a two-party system. So with all that, what's the opportunity we have now? Ultimately, I can say on an individual level and on a collective, is we have the opportunity to experiment. It's a small window. You know, this is a time that you can really take think about what you want to do I certainly have more on that in future episodes um, you know a chance to do something is now you know what can we learn from COVID-19 to better impact our future You know, what's the climates of the riots, protests, and political things going to look like going forward and the wrong road forward? I think one of the most important things to come out of this is a sense of renewed optimism in the failing healthcare system. I think that's one thing we can gain from all this. Another thing we got to think about is the economy of COVID-19 and what it's done to the, believe me, there's, you know, the bailouts to the corporations and stuff that need the money to keep going. It's working right now. Everything he did and, you know, it's working. But the Fed's corporate bond buying is stoking bubble fears. Like how, how, how many times can you just pump money into the system and you know it's kind of like we're on an artificial pump valve and uh, we're not getting to do it the normal way you know where people can go out and feel safe or whatever um, because it's a real virus and it's really out there and it really is killing some people you know, 98% of the people that catch the virus will probably live 
and make it, they'll be fine. It's that other 1% and something that will not make it, cannot make it, because that's just the mortality rate of the virus. And when you're talking about that many people, um, people don't take that lightly. So we really are in a pandemic. It's really going to happen. And we're not talking about months or whatever. We're talking about a one to two year period here. Even if they do open everything back up, the damage is already done so far and they can't fully open everything up because of the timeline and schedule that's all geared around the vaccine. You have a vaccine that's going to take one to two years to develop just to see if it even works. Maybe one year if everybody puts their thinking caps on and gets it done, you know, <laughs> like that so much doesn't get done nowadays. Um, and then plus it's going to take a year or two it takes to get the vaccine to the people across the world. You're not just going to produce all of the world's vaccines within, you know, so many. It's going to take time to administer it all. You can't even produce a world supply without considering one or two years to do that in. So there's the timeline if you was wondering how long it was going to take. Also, a little fun fact that I looked up about the economy of COVID-19 and the regular economy, what we used to have. Before the pandemic, 52% of middle class people have stocks and ownerships in the form of pensions and stocks. 52%. 88% of income over 100000 a year has invested in stocks and incomes. While 19% that is invested under 35000 wage incomes invest very little. So, the people that make a lot of money invest in the stock market and benefit. What I'm trying to say is the poor keep on going to get poor. And the rich are going to keep on getting rich. And we're just taking it. Just like we took their bullshit story on... Uh, See, the way they're handling this pandemic is correct. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. The only problem is, is there's other, there's too much strong arming on both sides of each party. And it's not adding up to the problems that the middle, the middle class and the lower class are about to run into because they don't have any job to go to. They don't have anything to do. So like it or not, we're being forced into this. And I don't think it's necessarily as easy as, well, won't they just open it back up? Because then you run into like, you know, you might kill your grandma kind of deal. And, um, 
How do you, nobody's ever had this problem before. We've had problems like this in the past, but not with the technology and the circumstances we find our uh, local communities in today. So this is all very new. And uh, I think people are going to have to really think about what they're going to do going forward. Like, it's unknown whether you, you even have a job when you get back because if your industry or company can't survive this long, being closed down this long, they may bankrupt and you may not have a job to go back to. So it's time to really start thinking about what you can actually do in this world after it's over. I don't mean to sound doom and gloom, and I'm not. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying these are real facts that are coming to a resident near you. Well, we're going to get on to something else uh, that I think is important, and that's uh, how we should teach our children how they should be educated. And that's coming up in my personal take. Welcome to my personal take, and uh, thank you for your continued, probably tired ear, but I appreciate you for listening. Today I'm going over what I have entitled, How Should We Teach Our Children? And I guess more profoundly is like, I can say on some level our education system is failing us. And I'm getting ready to get into the teachings of uh, J. Krishnamurti on how we should probably raise our kids. And then some people may be sitting there thinking, well, do you have kids? And the answer is no, I don't have kids. Although I have seen the outcome of kids. I have this experience because... I know an adult used to be a child at one time. But, uh, so Jay Krishnamurti was a spiritual leader. Past episodes, I brought him up. And I consider him, he's my go to source for what is really true, <laughs> in a way. So, first off, you know, a lot of the things I'm going to talk about here all drive from him. And, uh, first off, what is education? Do we educate children to deal with all the aspects of life? The answer is no. Do we educate them with having a good memory as a good marker for education? Why do we not ever teach the other side of life to our children? The psychology type of life the mind life you know you can cram that thing in your brain full of knowledge all you want but at some point you have to be in a decision and you have to make one that's crucial some people are not making good decisions as long as you look across the world here the most fundamental one that needs a lot of attention from the current state of education 
is the psychology of an individual as it relates to the interior world and the outer world. We need some kind of holistic curriculum in our school. Holistic, it's, uh, this deals with the fear, death, lonesomeness, love, hate, attachments, or relationships. This is the mind world. We need a teacher that understands these things. We have a limited education. Just like we've had for a while from this all memory, all store it in your brain kind of approach. You know, memorizing is book after book. A handy storage bank built in for us. This is stored up in the acquired knowledge. This is the current mode of modern education. We just load some data. What if there was a book about mankind? And I always like what J. Krishnamurti said here, he says, a book about mankind is useless because you are the book of mankind. Is it possible to cultivate the whole brain and not one part of it? We have cultivated only one part of our brain. The psychology part of our brain is not educated at all. I think one of the fundamental things we need to teach our children is the word is not the thing. The word comes between the object, subject, and observation. The word is preventing real observation in our fundamental selves. The image you have of the word is not me. See how the word prevents you from looking. Look at the human being and not the word. This brings about clarity and balance so you can approach something with unbiased opinions. Can you educate the psychology of a human being? Is it possible to have the knowledge and psychology run side by side together? Can you read the book of mankind which is you? Can you read the book with clear and unbiased and undistorted view, not relying on any interference, you know, human memory? There can be no love and self-interest. You have to be a mirror to yourself and watch the reactions and responses. There's a school in Bangalore, India, called Chumbai School. And this school is a school that was derived from J. Krishnamurti's teachings. And at this school, this is some of the things that the children are taught. And this is kind of what their day is. This is what I think we should model the American education system after. Each child goes at its at the speed required for him. 
each child, there's no rushing of a child in this man's school. No feeling of fear or academic pressure. There is a couple exams. There's like an exam every two years and that's it. And they pass that with flying colors. None of them fell it. Um, one-on-one teaching and teachers are the observers. A teacher lets the child freely think and just stands back as an observer and helper. So, to me, that would be my ideal heaven of a good education because you would be free to think about and do what comes naturally to you and you can find out your real talents in life. That's the whole ideal of J. Krishnamurti's school there. And that's always stuck in my mind ever since I heard it, so... I wanted to talk about it here on my personal take. Just something to think about as we're sitting here homeschooling the kids and people are having to deal with their children all the time. And it's one thing I think that uh, I'm not sure how realistic it would be to have one-on-one two teachers with students. It would require a lot of people. But I do think just cramming somebody's head full of knowledge and nonsense in some cases but most of the time they're learning very good stuff like math science you got to know all that stuff but there's another aspect to it too like how do you get the kid not to fear learning and accept it naturally and i think this jay krishnamarty guy figured it out so that's good and uh i'd like to thank you again for listening to sean boycast I appreciate your tired ear probably by now, but you guys enjoy yourself and don't forget to pet your unicorn. All right.